Welcome to West Virginia and Commonplace. Today, I have a special guest with me, someone that is at sea at the moment and that stays in the sea most of the time. And she has a very, very, very special story that she would like to tell you all about and some ventures that she's gone on. Um, her name is Tanya, and she is from Take-Two Sailing. I want to pass it along to her. Please introduce yourself to us and tell us a little bit about yourself, and we'll get in there and we'll dive in deep. Sounds great. Uh, thank you for having me, JR. Always. Uh, my name is Tanya Hackney. <laughs> my name is Tanya Hackney, and I am um, a wife, a mother, a sailor, and a writer. I live on a 48-foot catamaran called Take-Two with my husband and four children. My uh, oldest child has moved off the boat, but for the last 13 years, we've been a family of seven afloat. And sometimes that means being at a dock or on a mooring ball. And sometimes it means being uh, out at sea for several days. And uh, we've traveled up the East Coast of the US and back and forth to the Bahamas a bunch of times and spent three and a half years in the Caribbean. Uh, we oh, came wow. back in yeah, we came back in 2019 so that our older kids could begin their own adventures. So we're back in Florida uh, visiting family again and uh, kind of riding out a, a pandemic to see if we're going to be able to travel again <laughs> and, you know, dream in new dreams. And uh, I used that time to write a book, so which okay. is coming out in October. All right, and we'll dive into that in just a moment. Now, let me ask you this, you and your husband, when did you all come up with the idea to just go out to the sea? Well, we were, we met in Florida. We were high school sweethearts. Uh, he is a sailor. He used to race sailboats and it was something he had grown up doing. I did not grow up doing it, but I love the ocean. I just love, I love the water so much. And we had taken a trip as newlyweds with his dad and stepmom who are also boat owners. And it was a, a really great trip. It was a perfect microcosm of that life. We had a storm at sea. We had the adventure. We visited Dry Tortugas National Park, which is this, you know, really remote place with beautiful water and snorkeling. And so I'd gotten a little bit of a taste of that. And then on the way home, something broke and we couldn't run the engine and it was just a really calm night. And so we sailed overnight back to Naples from Naples, Florida, from the Dry Tortugas. And it was just gorgeous. It was one of those nights that was I just say magical. I know that's so cheesy, but it was a magical night. And there were stars in the sky and phosphorescence in the water. And I sat up all night with Jay's dad, just, you know, electrified. It was so beautiful. And I thought, this is what I want to do. I think I always think about these incidences in life. If it had been a rough night, if it had been one of those stormy nights at sea, that could have changed the whole course of my life. I might've gone like, get me off of this ride. I'm never doing this again. So I guess, I guess it's, you know, our whole lives hinge on these tiny little circumstances, like this beautiful night at sea that sparked this conversation between my husband and me as we were driving back to our yuppie life in Atlanta. I was like, let's do this instead. You know, this thing that we talked about when we were teenagers, we could actually do this. I mean, it took us a long time to actually do it, but that, that seed was planted, you know, when we were teenagers and then in our 20s okay and you you start your family and then you guys eventually go out to sea what was the first night like out at sea with the whole family well we skipped like 15 years <laughs> so somewhere between we had this idea and then we you know did the american dream thing uh -huh. which we found boring and then we sold our house and we sold our stuff and we bought a boat and you know all of that, which, you know, can be told in massive amounts of detail. But ultimately, we moved aboard with four kids, uh, age six and under. Whoa. And yeah, so when we bought the boat, they were six, five, four, and one and a half. And then later on, we had a baby while we were living aboard. But when we first started traveling, we just did weekends aboard. And we would do little, you know, day sales. But at some point, we you know, took the leap and we left the marina and we sailed away with our kids and we had worked up to it. We are big believers in baby steps. Yes. So we had worked up to that first overnight sail and it was, 
it was interesting because it was actually a repeat of that trip that we had done as a young married couple. We sailed to the Dry Tortugas from Tampa Bay and our kids, you know, we woke up in the, the next morning. I love sailing overnight. I actually love night sailing when, you know, you pick your weather so it's a nice night and it's not terrible and the stars are out and the phosphorescence in the water. <laughs> and then when you, you know, arrive the next morning, the sun rises and you're in a completely different place. It's very... Oh, I always want to use the word magical. It really is so transformational. You have this, you you know, you leave, you sail overnight, and when you arrive, the sun comes up and you find out where you are. It's it's really a cool experience. And for our kids to have that experience, we were, you know, arriving in the dry tortugas and the seaplane is landing and the sun is shining and the water is this beautiful turquoise color. It's really special. It's a special memory. <laughs> being at sea at night it's nice I mean sometimes it's nice it's I actually sleep better when there's a little bit of motion okay that's that's a different take now you all um go out to sea you uh, did this first venture you come back in you've got to with children because I have a son you have to um like you said you did the baby steps and all that other stuff you kind of have to not coerce them because obviously they like what they're doing. But how did y'all get them back on the boat again to do this for a longer period of time? And the reason I'm asking this is because I'm trying to get the audience a, a feel of, of how, you know, they did the one trip and it was magical, but not every day is magical. So, so what was it like the next time you went out? Uh, well, let's see. Or any time, you know, the time. We by the time that we had done yeah first overnight trip we had started out doing weekends on the boat and you know weeks in the house and then and then when we actually did that trip we were already living on the boat okay so then the question was so that they were already used to it. this was just their home this was just where they lived and they were young enough that they just kind of trusted us I'm not sure if they should have trusted us because we were you know total noobs and had no idea what we were doing <laughs> But we did discover that our boy on the boat at this point and our second son gets horribly seasick. And oh. it's not the sort of thing that we we knew before we started. So now you're going to think that I'm a cruel parent because we've now lived aboard uh, for, you know, over 12 years with this poor kid. He just turned 19 and he's lived his whole life on a boat and he gets seasick. But we we just learned to medicate you know, before we even go out to sea, he takes medication. He's kind of useless as a crew member because he's usually, you know, trying to find the most comfortable spot on the boat. Um, so we, we became very careful planners. We have never crossed an ocean. I think that probably would be considered cruel parenting. Uh, but we have done lots and lots of travels and we just pick our weather very, very carefully. So the next time we wanted to travel, we traveled to the Bahamas and that was another, you know, overnight or two just picking the weather carefully. And since most of our life is being anchored in a beautiful place, exploring, not days at sea, I think it was, a, I think it was acceptable. I mean, okay. he, I hope that he, I hope he would look back on it and I know he'll probably remember, you know, some of the misery, but I hope that he'll remember the adventures because you sometimes have to put up with a little bit of misery to get those adventures. And if you have seven people on a boat, obviously you have seven different people's opinions about when to travel, how much to travel, how long the passage is, which countries you wanna visit, which islands you loved or which islands you hated. And um, we give everybody a say, but we don't give everybody a vote. So my husband and I kind of, we, we, we talk about where we wanna go and what we wanna do and you know what weather we're gonna pick and how long we're gonna be gone. Um, you know, that Caribbean trip, I, we had a teenage daughter that well, she was almost a teenager that she was kind of like, I don't really want to leave. I don't really want to go on this trip. But if you ask her now, she's glad that we did it. She's also glad we came back to the U.S. so she could <laughs> be with her friend. <laughs> but we made these we made these awesome memories that, you know, you can't trade. You can't trade anything for that. And, and uh, another question about the, the aesthetics of what goes on inside the boat when you're traveling. Um, as children, you know, you have to make time for each child individually. Uh, did y'all have to pick if you did it below uh, the deck or above the deck with each child, like how you um, gave each child a little bit of intimacy? How did that work out? Okay, so I've, I've tried to calculate the square foot, the square footage of the place that we live in. 
um, mostly the cabins are for sleeping in. Our main living area is a, like a 15 by 15 foot room. So you're thinking like, like one room cabin, one room schoolhouse, one room, you know, it's, it's an office, it's a vehicle, it's a home, it's a schoolroom, it's everything in this tiny little space. And you've got seven people in their giant personalities. So obviously there's, you know, lots of conflict resolution going on. Uh, we're very close. Sometimes that's proximity and sometimes that's emotionally close. Uh, and sometimes you're just, you know, taking off in the dinghy so you can get a little bit of time, you know, like you said, one-on-one. Privacy is is hard to come by. You can kind of retreat to your separate corners, but I think to get the one-on-one time, that's a big family question. And that's that's true for all big families, whether they live in a small space or not. We, we would do Saturday night special. We would call it Saturday night special. And every Saturday, we'd send the other kids to bed and let one kid stay up late, pick a movie or play a game, or they would get to pick what was for dinner, pick the dessert, and then stay up late while everybody else went to bed. So that was one of the things that we did. Um, lunch dates with dad. Uh, my husband would take a kid once a week, pick a kid and take him out to lunch. <laughs> and then we had sort of a, we had this like reward chart for good behavior. And when you would fill up your card full of stars, you know, for doing your chores or finishing your schoolwork or whatever, then you could pick a parent and go on an outing. And so that was kind of tied to good behavior. But then we wanted to make sure that that they felt loved even when they weren't behaving. And so we also just would, you know, grab a kid and go to shore. Uh, our chore chart, which is how we get you know, things done mm-hmm. um, includes things like provisioning. You, you know, you, whoever's turn it is gets in the dinghy, grabs the grocery bags, and we dinghy ashore to wherever the grocery store is, and they help shop that day. And you get rewarded for your work by getting to pick something, some treat at the grocery store. So, in a myriad of ways, we try and make each kid feel special. Uh, I don't know that we're entirely successful. They are really like we're on top of each other sometimes, and it's hard. You get spread real thin when you're, when you have that many children, even if we were in a house, we would have been spread thin, Oh yes. but at least, yeah, now this way we went and had a good time. So <laughs> <laughs> now let's talk about the boat. Take two. Um, how did you all acquire this boat? How did this boat get its name? Give us the origin. That's the best question I can ask. Can we get the origin of take two? Sure. Uh, take two is a 48 foot catamaran. It was built in the Netherlands in 1991. It is made out of wood. It's a very unique boat. It was uh, designed by a guy named Dirk Kramer, and it's a a one-off. It's a custom catamaran. It was built the year that my husband and I started dating in high school. So I love that, you know, I have my origins and the boat has its origins in the same year. And we had almost bought another boat when we had, we only had two or three kids at the time. I think maybe Sam had just been born and we had almost bought this monohull named Katie Rose. And uh, it was a big scary leap to move out of a house and onto a boat with little kids. And so, and we're praying people. So we had been praying about this decision to, you know, to, to trade this, you know, to trade the American dream for this adventure. And we had found this boat and we were praying about it. And the broker would call and he'd say, okay, they lowered the price. And we would go look at the boat. Like, I don't know. I don't know if we can do this. And we'd pray about it again. And the broker would lower, you know, and the price would get lower. We deliberated and deliberated until somebody else swooped in, bought that boat and sailed away. And I, we were devastated. We were, cr- I was crying. I remember crying in the shower, like, oh, they sailed away with my dream. Why did we hesitate? And then, um, and then when Jay found take two, which is a great name. It came with the name. It was like our second chance. It was the perfect boat. And it had the, like, it was just, it felt ordained because it was the, you know, even the name was take two, like, here's your second chance. And it was a catamaran. And by that point we had four kids and we had, would have outgrown that monohull anyway. It was, I think if without that failure, that first failure, I'm not sure that we would have been brave enough to to jump on the second one but because take two came along after we had failed we were ready i think uh i wrote about it at the time i think that has become a guiding principle is that regret is worse than fear i had had a taste of that regret you know from not buying that boat and then even though i was afraid to do it i knew that regret felt worse okay 
And, and that's a great story. I mean, you can actually write a book about that, <laughs> you know, simply. I'm sure, it's in there. Like, it's in there. <laughs> are, are, yeah. So after you um, get this boat, um, everything we buy, no matter if it's brand new, used, whatever, we add our own touch to it. So how, how long did it take you all to add your touches to the boat and then um, be ready to like actually go further than just the marina? You know, there's a this you have this idea about how long it's going to take. It's always longer than you think. It's always more expensive than you think. It's always going to take more energy. When people say, "How much have you spent?" You know, upgrading the boat or whatever, we just say everything. Every it takes everything, every ounce of love and energy and money and time, and it's a labor of love. When we bought the boat, it needed a lot of work. The first year, we were just weekends on the dock, you know, with these little kids. It was enough to to make that adjustment. Uh, everything was broken. We were always fixing things. Uh, it was it, the electrical, the electrical system was European 50 Hertz. And so we had to completely redo the electrical system. Um, at, at some point we had to redo the engines. It took us at least a year to get the boat where we could live on it with our kids and feel comfortable taking trips. And we practiced on weekends and things like that, but eventually we were able to leave. We lived with the boat for about a year, the way it was before we started upgrading because we didn't really know what, what it needed until we had lived with it for a little while. And I'm actually glad we had that time to kind of figure out what was important. At the beginning, you're, you're fixing all these systems because it's a vehicle, right? Yes. But by the end, then you realize, okay, if we're, if we're gonna do this for real and make this long-term and not just a camping trip, we're gonna need to make this comfortable and homey. And so when we came back from the Bahamas the, in 2011, I was pregnant with our fifth kid. We had decided we liked it enough that we were gonna do it permanently. And so we did a major overhaul on the boat. We built her a crib, a little safe space <laughs> for the baby. So we hired a carpenter to do that. And you know, we get this thing called might as well-itis. Well, you already have the carpenter there anyway. You know, we might as well you know, redo this thing or redo that thing. So we got a new galley, new appliances, uh, he built us a beautiful table for the salon and a cockpit table. And we eventually redid the ceilings and the floor. Like we kind of, we, we, we did a major refit. So that would have been after we, we'd owned the boat about two years at that point. And over the years, we just keep upgrading it and making it more and more comfortable. But for the most part, I think we, we had a really good vision for what we wanted to do when we came back after we'd lived with it kind of in its uncomfortable state uh, in 2011, when we had the baby, we really made the boat our own. And it's, it's a home now, it's not, it's not a camping trip. <laughs> and that's what you wanted, you kind of go from makeshift to a home or, or to a house, then it becomes a home. Cause once you're on it, it becomes at home. And that's what I want to tie into um, making this boat your home. Um, there's some harsh realities and some things that people don't understand in uh, certain, one, one misconception that you've addressed earlier, that we think that you're always at sea, that you're always going. You did uh, give us a, a, an idea that you do dock places and different things like that. What are some of the harsh realities that happen at sea that, that don't happen on land? Okay, so if you have a house and you don't fix something right away, you know, you can let things slide maybe. On a boat, if you don't there are things that if you don't fix them or maintain them, your house will sink. It will sink. <laughs> it will be a disaster. It's life and death. All of those decisions that you make are life and death. Whether you remembered to, you know, tie the dinghy up tight. If you don't, you know, it's kind of like, I guess it would be like leaving the keys in your car and someone drives off, drives off with your car out of the driveway. Like if you don't tie your dinghy up tight, um, it could drift away in the night and you lose your family vehicle, you know, your way that you can get ashore. Uh, it's, un, it's not comfortable. So sometimes at sea, it's rough if there's storms or things like that. Like you took your house into this, you know, swirling maelstrom. It's, it can get a little dicey. We've had a few times where we were, we scared ourselves. Uh, what are the harsh realities? Uh, seasickness, storms at sea, leaky hatches, um, the only thing I'm really afraid of, I'm really afraid of fire. So we've been pretty good, pretty lucky with that and just have, we're very careful. Um, and maybe I'm afraid of capsizing, but I'm not sure that we, 
we've ever been in danger of doing that. Although the bottom of our boat is painted red. So if a catamaran capsizes, it stays afloat. It just stays afloat upside down. So we painted it red because, you know, just in case a helicopter's looking for us in the middle of the ocean. It okay. makes me feel better. I don't, <laughs> we're not going to put ourselves in that kind of a dangerous, you know, in, but you never know. So. And that's a little ingenuity there. Now, um, out of everything that you y'all have done at sea, what has been the most captivating adventure that all of you have been on? Because like you said, you had a, a child at sea and stuff like that. What's What has been the, uh, the best adventure that you've been on or story you could give us real quick? Oh, oh man, that is so, that's so hard to pick. Uh, we did a Caribbean circle from 2016 to 2019. Uh, circling from the Western Eastern Caribbean around to the Western Caribbean. And probably our memories from that trip are you just so many beautiful things. It's so hard to pick. Uh, when we were in the Bay Islands, we swam with whale sharks, Whoa. which was a really, really amazing experience. And um, we did a free diving, I guess, Bay Islands. I mean, that, there were a bunch of really beautiful things that happened. Um, we did a free diving course, um, those of us that wanted to and really upped our game, uh, breath holding and just uh, depth going down to depth and, you know, learning what your body is capable of. That was a really good experience. Uh, Western Caribbean, we definitely love and we loved, we spent time in Guatemala oh, whoa. and Panama and we've hiked up volcanoes. And these are the things that I think of, like, if you asked me what my favorite, you know, my favorite things in the last 13 years, it's definitely memories from that trip. Okay. But if you ask me like which one of those things, I don't know. How do you how do you compare that? We just we had a lot of wonderful, wonderful memories. Everybody in our family loves Bonaire. Bonaire was kind of a high point for us. Okay. Just now, the beautiful, beautiful water. Real clear or oh yeah, very clear, gorgeous sea life. Uh Bonaire, the island itself has just wonderful, friendly people. We were there with other um, boating families, which was really, really fun. It's fun when you, you know, find a group of kid boats and all the kids are jumping and swimming every day and snorkeling on the reef and free diving, going to the beach or going windsurfing or hopping in the back of a truck and going exploring. It, it was like a, just a really great time. Okay. Now, one thing that we do on the show, because we have listeners that come in at different points and we didn't do it earlier and we'll, do, we'll recap this later. Um, we have a segment called the shameless plug. Um, real fast, would you mind plugging everywhere that everyone can find you on social media and how they can contact you? And then we're about to dive into your book. Okay, absolutely. Uh, we have been blogging since 2008 at www.take2sailing.com and that's T-A-K-E-T-W-O sailing.com and that has photos and um, writing some of all of us at some point have written a blog post it's not just me, uh, me and my my voice uh, we are also at take to sailing facebook page and take to sailing on instagram and pinterest as well okay now there comes a point in everybody's uh life and, and i don't care who it is we all have a creative itch or a creative moment um you had a creative moment you decided to write a memoir to write a book mm -hmm. and your book has a lengthy title leaving the safe harbor the risks and rewards of raising a family on a boat this book is coming out that's in right this book is coming out in october could you um tell us a little bit about this book without giving away all of it um because just from the title uh you're setting people up for something that's going to be amazing uh you may not see it, but it's going to be a template for someone that wants to be the next you. Um, somebody that could be at sea today, uh, you could be an influence on them, you know. So that, that's a, a heavy burden to carry, even though you probably, you, you write these things for self-care and you write these things for self-aware, I mean, for awareness for other people. Um, so please tell us about this book and then let us know your initial feeling after you finish writing this book. Okay, well, I had been writing the blog for all those years. And so I didn't really, I didn't really, I didn't want to rewrite the blog. And, you know, lots of people have written a, like a how to go sailing with your family book. So I didn't want to write a how to. Um, uh, the idea for the book 
was sparked by a list that I found online of 50 nautical idioms. And I'm reading through these idioms, things like uh, rocking the boat or uh, three sheets to the wind or ships passing in the night, things that all of us say. And I started to realize that I have this understanding of these nautical idioms. I can understand them in a literal way. Like when you say close quarters, I can tell you that you move aboard with toddlers and you know, your family of seven on a, on a little, little tiny space, that's close quarters. I know what that means. And I started to think about all the life lessons that we had learned and how they related to these idioms. And I was able to pair up, you know, a characteristic like learning patience or learning conflict resolution or, you know, learning how to make friends quickly. All of those kind of paired up really nicely with a nautical idiom and it sparked the idea for the book. And I basically sat down and wrote the table of contents and I realized I have the entire book like right here. I just have to sit down and write it. It was, it took me a long time. Uh, because I'm homeschooling the kids. So I don't have, you know, I don't have uninterrupted time. Um, I'm a bit of a scatterbrain to begin with. I'm an idea person. So I'm always getting new ideas and chasing the new idea and forgetting about the old idea. So finishing is challenging. Um, I guess I would say I'm grateful for the pandemic because it gave me time to sit and just contemplate and finish something. The best part was reliving all of our memories and just going back through and sort of looking at it in one big chunk you know, from the time that we were teenagers where we first had this idea to sail away all the way till now we have kids that are the age that we were when we were dreaming and sort of looking at that in, in, in the scope of history and seeing, wow, look at this thing that we did. It was amazing. And I wanted to share that. And I also, I don't necessarily think that living on a boat is for everybody. I think it's challenging in lots of ways. And if you don't love the ocean or if, you know, if you already know that you get seasick, that it's not necessarily going to be your cup of tea. But I think the story has a broad appeal because everybody has a dream. Everybody has some goal that they had as a kid. You know, maybe they shelved it for a while or maybe you're waiting for retirement or something. But we need to give those dreams legitimacy and we need to make sure that you know, we don't die with regret. So if you are thinking about doing something that might be a little bit risky, if you're, you know, like you said, the, the me of tomorrow, somebody might be sitting there afraid to give up their American dream for an adventure. They might read the story and be like, oh, well, these people did it. Maybe we could do it too. Whether that looks like starting a business or homeschooling your kids or uh, world schooling or buying an RV, whatever that dream is to do something different, I feel like that that our story would certainly be, you know, encourage someone to to look at the risks and the rewards and take a leap of faith. Okay. Now, inside this book, uh, what is your favorite chapter inside this book? I don't know. What is my favorite chapter? I'll give you a second. I'll put a little filler in here. I like to do yeah. these, these episodes. Um, uh, and the, the reason I'm asking this is because everyone that writes a book um yeah no matter, no matter what you do inside these books uh there's a self-care part for yourself because there's somewhere in that writing that there was self-care for yourself then there's a feel good you know we know all the actions because we went to school the rising the falling the climax and all that other stuff yeah um, nine times out of ten i find that the climax inside of anyone's book is what that chapter is usually what um becomes their favorite or the falling action a lot of people don't like the rising action, which is usually their struggle or whatever gives them their definition on who they are. And um, that's just that's just one of those things that uh, most authors and any type of content creator comes back with. They're usually like the middle of what I wrote or of what I've produced is what I like the most because it shows me at a point where it seems like I'm stable, but I'm not really stable. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just making it. Yeah, that's really hard. Okay, so the book, uh, I think because I, I wrote it originally, uh, you know, it was thematically organized. And then when I when I did the rewrite in order to make it a narrative, uh, everything got shuffled and reorganized. And so it's really hard for me to say, like, what is my favorite part? My favorite part of the book is probably, like I said, that those years between 2016 and 2019, when we were traveling in the Caribbean, that was when we were doing the thing that we had always dreamed about. And so that spans several chapters. The I guess the climax of the story would be like 
when we when we made it to Guatemala, we had actually turned around. We were headed home, and it was hurricane season. And we decided that instead of going back to Florida, we would duck into the Rio Dulce in Guatemala. It wasn't necessarily the easiest part of our trip, but I feel like that was a really neat uh, a place, a juncture where everything came together. All those years of traveling, we had all of this knowledge, we had these experiences, we had made these wonderful friends. Uh, we were going on adventures, land adventures and sea adventures, but we were also in a place where we wanted to give back. So um, I had connected with an old friend who had an orphanage in Guatemala and we were doing some uh, volunteering. Our boys were um, digging a boat slip in the mud with their bare hands, you know, like <laughs> shovels and, yeah. um, I was uh, playing music with little kids in this orphanage and we were we were having these really cool cultural experiences. We had always hoped that our kids would get a second language and so we were all practicing our Spanish. I love that chapter in our lives, you know, however many chapters it spans in the book. I love that chapter in our lives because it was what we had imagined when we first bought the boat. Like we imagined sailing somewhere very different from where we came from. We had imagined, you know, having these fun adventures like climbing volcanoes. We sent our boys up Akatanango uh, volcano, which is right next to Fuego, um, you know, rumbling in the night and fire spewing. And they got to see that experience. They had to have that experience. The two teenage boys went up that mountain by themselves. Oh. Like those were, that's what we wanted. You know, go, go on an adventure, have that confidence. Um, the boys were also riding, you know, little buses to get to the orphanage to go do their work, you know, without their parents, like a hop on a bus, communicate in another language, you know, go do something that's doing good for another person like that. That is what we dreamed. And see that happening. I think that has to be my favorite part. Okay. Now we have a special segment in the show that I pay homage to a news magazine um, called 2020. Growing up as a kid uh, at my grandma's or even at home on Friday nights, um, you know, 2020 came on. Um, there, was oh, yeah, Di- there was Diane Sawyer. She uh, had some great questions. There was John Stossel. He was the comedic relief, but we don't need the comedic relief because you've been very good with it. Uh, no one ever sees the videos or anything, but you've had a smile on your face the whole time and you've been very vibrant with what you're talking about. But then there comes a serious portion. There's a lady. And her name is Barbara Walters. Barbara, Barbara Walters asked some questions that at uh, 1040 as a child, and I'm talking about a child of about six, seven, eight, and nine, would either send me to bed questioning or I would get to stay up a little bit later because she would go in depth with some more questions uh, and things that really got to the, the, the meat of what she was, uh, whoever she was interviewing. So it's your time. It's your Barbara Walters time. We usually do a little Diane Sawyer segment, but the thing is, is that you've been very uh, open and you've given us all types of information that no one would have because we all have not been at sea. So what we're going to tie in here is about your book. Mm-hmm. When you were writing this book, um, obviously you made a statement that the pandemic uh, made it easier to write this book. When was the first time that did you get writer's block? What was something that stops you from writing? Because everyone gets writer's block. And the reason I ask this is because um, being a parent, all the titles that you have right now, right now you're going to help somebody as an author with your answer. Because somebody might go on a vacation trip and be at sea writing, or they may turn around and um, start your life. Not the same life, but a similar life. So that writer's block, when did it hit you? and How did you get over it? Uh, I wrote the first few chapters very quickly. Like, I think I knew what I wanted to do, how it was going to go. And then because we were traveling, because I'm homeschooling, because we were busy, I kind of set it aside. And there was this long period of time, I wouldn't say I ever had writer's block where like, I just didn't know what to write. It was more that I didn't dedicate the time to really thinking about what was going to come next. And I sort of tabled it. I didn't even know if I was going to finish it. I have a million unfinished projects. So it was going to end up on the pile of unfinished projects. And then um, another podcaster actually found me somewhere, found my website and called me and asked if I, I was in Guatemala at the time, asked if I would mind doing a podcast. Uh, Can I say who it is? 
Yeah, that's fine. It was, okay, it was a herd of turtles, uh, kind of about cautious adventurers. And that conversation sparked my interest in really finishing the book. And so I went, I went back and, and looked at what I had written. And this is how I know whether I'm going to finish something or not. I'll go back and see if what I wrote, if I still like it, if it piques my interest, if it tells me like, if it calls to me and says, come finish me, come finish me, then I'll know. And that, and it did. And I read the first five chapters again. And I was like, I need to finish this. And, but I needed some accountability. So when we came back to the US in 2019, I found a writing buddy and the two of us, uh, she had a project she was working on. I had a project I was working on and we committed to a certain number of words, you know, every week. And we would have these weekly meetings where we would talk about what we had written and we were reading each other's work. And I had that accountability and a deadline and I set a deadline and I, I actually finished something. And it gives me a lot of hope because I, I now have all of these unfinished, you know, like I said, this pile of unfinished work, I, I will go back and I'll read it. If I still like it, I can finish those things too. I now have, you know, work in the pipeline in a sense. It's just a matter of really committing to it and setting a deadline and being accountable to someone to keep promises that you make to yourself. Okay. Now, here goes one of these deep questions, and this is one of these questions that kind of, it goes into who you are, because that's the type of uh, thing that we want to have out here. We want to do more than just a portrayal with this question. You have a lot of titles. You have a lot of responsibility to a lot of people on a boat, but how do you take care of your mental health? What are exercises? What are things that you do because you, like I said, you have a roundabout life. Um, you've got to be so many different titles that when you're on land, there's other people to address certain things, you know. How do you handle all that stress and everything? How do you take care of your mental health? Uh, that is a great question. People will often ask you, how do you, how do you homeschool your kids on a boat? How can you not go crazy? You definitely do go crazy. You definitely do not feel sane at all times. Sanity seated. I am a person, I don't, I think part of that is you don't live that closely to nature and not feel a sense of awe and gratitude to the creator. Uh, part of it is, you know, if you're in a storm at sea, you know, there are definitely times that I was praying hard, like just help us get through this, help us to think clearly. Um, and that has manifested in the mornings. I get up in the morning and I pray and I read my Bible and I read, you know, books that will feed my spirit and my body and my mind. And I, um, this year I found a book called The Morning Miracle and that has been fantastic. And that kind of combines meditation and exercise and writing and reading. You just doing a little bit each morning. And that has been great to have I guess a quiet time in the morning that roots your day. And that's always been a practice that I had was to have some time set aside, usually before the kids got up, you know, if I was able to, to beat them to it, it's great. Otherwise I go off kayaking by myself or uh, I read a book one year called 20 minute vacations. Um, and you basically set a timer and you go, you know, she had 101 suggestions for how you could take a 20 minute vacation. And so that was one of the things that I implemented. And my husband and I have a date night once a week, uh, which we've been doing since we had a kid old enough, you know, and responsible enough that they could stay on the boat with the other kids. And before that, we would take date night in the cockpit, we would, you know, set up a movie inside give the kids dinner and then the two of us would sit outside you know and we'd have our date outside <laughs> uh we had we needed to nurture that relationship so it's about self-care but also about um, marriage care that's that's critical because we cannot do what we do unless the two of us are on the same page that okay. would be that would be make or break yeah 100 percent transparency it sounds like now um we're going to spin this all around since we did that uh, what would be an affirmation that you would want to pass along to the audience, um, to anyone that aspires to be an author, or to take on the numerous titles that you have? What would be your affirmation to them? I talk a lot about fear. I talk a lot about fear because I'm a big chicken. Uh, I'm not <laughs> courageous and brave and 
uh, foolhardy, I, I'm really afraid of a lot of things. Um, so I guess what I would say is live despite your fear. You cannot let fear limit you. Fear does keep you alive. It keeps you from repeating your mistakes. There's a usefulness to fear. But if you let it make the decisions for you, you'll never go anywhere. You'll never do anything. You'll have these dreams that are unfulfilled. And, you know, to me, the worst case scenario is you, you know, it's time for you to meet your maker and you have all this regret about this life that you wish that you had lived. You wish that you had done these things. And so I'm driven very much by, uh, by living despite fear and by that I want, I want to, I do not want regret, I guess is what I'm saying. And so what I would tell people is write down those things that you're afraid of, write down your worst case scenarios and see if you can mitigate them. See if you can write down the things that you, what, what, what if I do this? Or what if I don't do this? Or but like, what if you love it? What if you, what if you craft this amazing life? And, you know, what if you, you know, live this, this fulfillment of your dreams. You have to ask all of those what if questions. Um, sometimes I say fear is like a stowaway. Uh, you can't let, but you can't let it drive the boat and you can't let it navigate. So I feel afraid all the time and I do things despite that fear. I just put fear in the back seat. And I like that. That was really strong. Um, now, there comes a point in the show also that we do a, a nice little shout out to everyone in our lives that has molded us and helped us uh, get the framework for what we are today. So it's your turn, Tanya. Can you please give a big shout out to everyone that has molded your life? Sure. Of course, I'm so grateful to my family. My, they're somewhat not unconventional, you know, nonconformist types. I'm really grateful for my parents, especially uh, my mom and dad who took us on the long road trips as a kid that really, I think, is what gave me the wanderlust and maybe the confidence to, to, to leave the American dream behind and go on an adventure with my family. So I'm very grateful for that. Obviously, I wouldn't be here if I didn't have a fearless captain, you know, at the helm. So I'm very grateful for my husband and for my kids who are very understanding of their, you know, extroverted mom. I'm you know, parading a bunch of introverts out there. They're a little nervous <laughs> that I wrote a book and that they're like in the book. Um, they're wonderful kids and they're really, really wise and they give me good advice. You know, I, I really, we the tables have definitely turned. I'm, I try to listen to them when they have advice for me. Uh, of course, we've met so many wonderful sailing families. People really helped us at the beginning. And so we try and pay that forward whenever we meet people that are interested in in our lifestyle, we try and share that. And there are too many of those people to name, but all mm -hmm. of our sailing friends who, you know, who've, who've poured their lives into us and who've shared, who've shared their lives with us. We're so grateful for our, the sailing community is, is a very tight knit family. So if I say thank you for my sailing family, they know who I'm talking about. Okay. And of course I, you know, I'm, I'm going to say it, but like, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to God because that relationship that I have, you know, with the person who made me the way that I am has really helped me become, you know, the better version of myself. And so my spiritual life is very much, you know, the spiritual journey very much ties in with the physical journeys. It's a, you know, I took two journeys. I took this physical journey on the ocean, you know, from suburbia to living on, you know, on the water with my family, but I also took this spiritual journey from this, you know, I don't know, kind of neurotic housewife to, I don't know, swimming with whale sharks, something that I never <laughs> dreamed that I, that I would be able to do. Uh, and that is that, that courage to live your dreams and to live despite fear comes from that place of faith. And that's a great thing there because a lot of people um, don't want to tap into entities that uh, help us. Uh, like we always say, uh, you know, if it wasn't for my background, um, my favorite verse is uh, Romans 3, verse 23, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. If if it wasn't for the bad things that happen and the good things and the actual thought of prayer and what's going to help me get to this point or or how am I going to get to that point, the meditation, um, the different things that we do inside of our faith um, make us so strong and you can tell it through you. Um, so we come to a, a segment um, in the show where I do a little testimony about you. 
Um, Tanya, I just met you today. We have sparked a conversation. We've talked for about what a week and a half or so now. Um, I read about your information on Facebook. Um, we talked a little bit, went over to your website, and I and we we do investigative stuff. We go in and we look at different things. We look at your blogs, and from pictures, from the writings, from just meeting you now, you can tell that you are a very joyous person. Um, for the pictures, you know, and pictures tell a certain story, and then we other we have other parts of the stories that go beyond beyond the pictures. Um, you can tell that your family is in love. Um, and then that in love nature, it, it's really hard to find that in a picture because most people have a picture and it's a still, it may be a smile, but you can see in everything that you all do that it, it's more, it's, it's more than that, uh, uh, Captain, uh, what is it? Captain Russo, is that the one I'm looking for? Or this Swiss family Robinson. It's more than that. Oh I, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. more, it's more than that that you all have going on. Um, you took a moment out of your life to write a book because the pandemic uh, put everybody into a pause session that we all um, will never get back and we'll never know again. Um, to some people it was negative, to a lot of people it was positive or however they were on the fence. You took that opportunity and made it an extra positive in your life. And in doing so, that positive you're making is gonna make more positive uh, waves in the world. Um, when your book is released, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Um, so my thing to you is this. Thank you for sharing your experience with the world. Thank you for taking the time out of your life that you didn't have to. You could have just went on with your life and never gave your testimonial in life. You could have just said, you could have just told adventurers and people you meet along the way. But for you to actually take time and to put a full memoir or a manuscript, whatever you want to call it, together, um, that's amazing. That's a blessing. Um, you should hold yourself really tight sometimes and think, wow, I actually had the tenacity, because a lot of people don't have that, to put out something. It's not that it's controversial or anything, but to put out something that has a different perspective on something that may have been told a few times here and there, but with it coming from your perspective, that puts a whole new light for other people. So I want you to, to once this book's released and you get a chance to autograph a few of them and you do different things with this book to just remember that you have made the world better with your writing. Oh, thank you. You made me cry. <laughs> uh, that's really, that's really sweet. Thank you so much for saying that. I feel really good about it. I, I'll say this. If it never sells a single copy, it was so worth the the effort of writing it and reliving those memories. And I enjoyed it so much that I hope that that joy comes across when to my readers. Okay, now the thing about the book, where can the audience find this book? Because everybody um, reads books in different methods now. When we were coming up, it was a physical book. Um, and if it wasn't a physical book, somebody copied it or Xeroxed it to those little clear sheets and you did little studies with it in class. So, um, now we have Kindles, iPads, Android devices that work with these things. Um, where can we find your book when, and when is the release date? So the book is on pre-order at Amazon and you can just find it by looking for the title and you can order that and then it will be released in both digital and paperback on October 31st. Um, obviously I'm asking write a review, give it it, you know, give it the momentum that it needs to to take off. So uh, the currently the what you can pre order is just the digital version. Um, we've been toying with the idea of recording an audiobook. Uh, that's another time, energy and money investment. And so, you know, that's kind of on the table. But right now it's paperback and digital. And, you know, we're all waiting patiently for that for that moment. But October 31st is the release date. Okay. Now, um, one thing that kind of kind of bothered me, and um, you, you said that you'd been on another podcast. Had you and your husband ever thought about, because you all are at sea, you're out at the ocean, you all, I mean, I'm not saying do this every week, and I'm not saying do it more than three times, maybe twice a month. Have you all ever thought about diving in and having your own podcast at sea? Oh, no, you know, it's, 
I, somebody has said I should do it. I don't know. I'm, I'm really a writer at heart and I love to talk, but I think it's not my preferred medium. Um, we know a lot of people who do YouTube videos. YouTube is very popular in the sailing world. Like a lot of people okay. follow, follow sailing families. Uh, I think just at heart, I'm a writer. And so I just keep plugging away. You know, I hope that people still read because I'm, I'm planning on continuing to write. Okay. It's, it's interesting. I don't mind. I love, I love talking to people about it. Uh, I think if I were going to do a YouTube show or a podcast or something, it would probably be about food <laughs> and not about sailing adventures. It would be like all the cool things that I make in my galley. Uh, <laughs> I, I joke about it. I joke about it sometimes when I'm, you know, making homemade pizza or I'm rolling out tortillas. I'm like, we should be filming this. <laughs> I'm doing this, you know, on a boat. This is what I could do in my boat kitchen, my galley. <laughs> so no, I mean, we've talked about it. I'm, I'm, most of my family are very, very introverted. And so uh, they have, you know, big privacy issues. And I, I'm a sharer. I'll tell anybody anything about anything. And then they're like, oh, mom, I can't believe you said that. Or, you know, my <laughs> husband's like, you know, did you put me in that book? Am I in there? Like, I was like, yeah, pretty much you're the star of the show. I'm the, you know, I'm the dynamic character and, and you're the, you're the hero. And so I think they're a little dismayed that I've, I've launched in this very public way. So no, we probably will never do anything that public. Well, just always keep it as an idea. And once again, Tanya, I want to thank you for coming on West Virginia Uncommonplace. Because the, the amazing thing uh, that happens is that these amazing stories, they're out there. And unless people project them out there, like um, I found out about yours, like I said, it was through one of those uh, Facebook groups that, that you just you just put it out there. And I know that you had a ton of people just asking questions. And I want to thank you for uh, listening to our podcast and feeling that we were would be a great home for you and your book. Um, and later on down the road, I definitely would like to have you back um, for the simple fact of this. Um, your book releases on the 31st, maybe at the beginning of the new year, if you have time, um, to tell us about the adventure of once the book's been released. Because, you know, right now you're in a, a certain space, but a few months from now, barring Christmas and everything else, you're going to be a totally different person. Oh, I hope not. I hope it, I hope I don't become a totally different person. I'm like really hoping that I can just like release this out into the world and then go back in my little closet and start writing. So I've got like other projects that I'm working on. And as much as I want the book to be successful, like I'm also a little bit afraid of the success. Does that make sense? To a degree, but just remember this, you got this in a bag uh, and the whole thing is, is that the only thing that changes is that you become more of a public speaker. You're going to have more engagements you know, with the book. So yeah. that's the only thing that really changes in the success. Uh, however you decide to measure it and quantify it or do whatever with it, uh, that's how it goes. So once again, I want to thank you for coming on West Virginia and Commonplace. Uh, you're always welcome back on here. Um, and I guess that's it. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to just talk about our life and um, to talk about fear and faith and uh, those things that I hold dear. Thanks for that. Thanks for holding that space. Always. And once again, West Virginia Commonplace, I'm JR from West Virginia Commonplace signing off. And I'm signing off with Tanya from? Take two, the sailboat uh, currently in the Florida Keys. All right.